Good morning, church family. For it's wonderful to see all of you here today and to be back in the pulpit this morning as we come down the home stretch of the Gospel of Mark, as we will be in Mark chapter 14 this morning. And we'll be looking specifically at verses 43 through 52, or at the betrayal and the arrest of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which all took place, church, right after Jesus Christ ate the Passover meal with his disciples, instituted the Lord's Supper in the midst of that Passover meal, and then after finishing the Passover meal, Jesus Christ, he went out to the Mount of Olives with his 11 remaining disciples. 11 being that Judas now was likely making his way to the chief priest at this time. And that upon arriving to the Mount of Olives, Jesus Christ and his disciples then went to a place called Gethsemane, which was a garden church likely located on the lower slopes of the Mount of Olives. And it's here where Jesus Christ says to his disciples in verse 32, sit here while I pray, only to then take with him, as we see in verse 33, three of his disciples, those three being Peter and James and John, seemingly a bit further into the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus Christ then began to be greatly distressed and troubled saying to them in verse 34, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. To which Jesus Christ then, after going about a stone's throw away, fell on the ground and began to pray, praying to his Father God, as we see in verse 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. The cup here, church, referring to the wrath of God that would ultimately be poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary for the forgiveness of sins. However, when Jesus Christ came back to his three disciples, again, those three disciples being Peter and James and John, he found them, verse 37, sleeping. And thus he then said to Simon Peter in verse 38, Simon... Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit here, church, as one commentator noted, seemingly referring to the spirit of God. And the flesh here, church, seemingly referring to our own human self-reliance and lack of trust in God which as we then read in verses 39 through 41, that again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. And that just as Jesus Christ had said back in Mark chapter 9 that the Son of Man was going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And in Mark chapter 10 that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest 
and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And in Mark chapter 14, that one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me, that that time church has come. And that all those aforementioned predictions by Jesus Christ, that they are all now about to take place. To which Jesus Christ then says to his sleepy disciples in verse 42, Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Despite being betrayed into the hands of sinful men and being abandoned by all his disciples, Jesus Christ still faithfully submitted to the will of his Father. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Despite being betrayed into the hands of sinful men and being abandoned by all his disciples, Jesus Christ still faithfully submitted to the will of his Father. And thus at this time, church, let's open up our Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 52. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 851 and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Mark chapter 14 this morning, church, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 43 through 52 where John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, and he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we as a church body are able to gather this morning. 
praising you, Father. Hearing your word this morning, Father. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to you. As we praise and worship you this morning, Father. And we thank you this morning, above all else, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Who, as we will see in our text today, was seized as if he was a criminal, even though he had done absolutely nothing wrong. And Father, I pray that this text strengthen us this morning. Lord, that we do not follow the lead of Jesus' disciples here, who betrayed him, abandoned him, fled from him in this moment of trial, but that instead, Father, we depend on the grace that you have given us, the same grace that turned us from dead individuals, individuals who were dead in their sin, to individuals who are now alive in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you continue to pour grace upon us, to keep us, holding fast to your Son, Jesus Christ, submitting to the ways of Jesus Christ, following the commandments of Jesus Christ, and being willing to count everything else in this world as loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you open the eyes and the ears of this dear congregation this morning and that you soften their hearts to receive this word and to empower them and strengthen them to be willing to flee from any temptations that may come their way by your grace and your grace alone, Father. And Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Lord, that I be faithful to this text, that I rest in your strength, Father, this morning, knowing that when I am weak, that you are strong. Lord, let this entire service today glorify you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. Despite being betrayed by a friend, Jesus Christ still submitted to the will of his Father. Despite being betrayed by a friend, Jesus Christ still submitted to the will of his Father. Verses 43 through 46. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him, and they laid hands on him and seized him. So following Jesus Christ saying to Peter and to James and to John in verses 41 and 42, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. That immediately then, church, while he, Jesus Christ, was still speaking, verse 43, Judas came, one of the twelve, a.k.a. one of Jesus' twelve disciples, and that with him at this time, verse 43, was a crowd of people with swords and with clubs from the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. 
and that we have Judas Iscariot here, one of Jesus' twelve disciples, arriving now on the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. But Judas Iscariot here was not alone at this time, but instead with him at this time was a crowd of people with swords and with clubs who were sent, verse 43, by the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders, a.k.a. from the Sanhedrin church or from that of the Jewish high court here church. And this was a crowd of people who were not only made up of temple guards, or as Luke chapter 22 puts it, officers of the temple, but also, as John chapter 18 seems to allude to, for this was a crowd of people that was also made up of Roman soldiers here as well. In essence, this wasn't just some random crowd or mob of people here, church, coming to seize and to arrest Jesus Christ, but instead this was an authorized police contingent, as one commentator put it, authorized by the Sanhedrin themselves who have come to Gethsemane with Judas Iscariot in order to arrest and to seize Jesus Christ. And Judas Iscariot, as we go on to see in verse 44, for he had given this authorized police contingent, if you will, church, a sign. That sign being, as we see in verse 44, that the one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And thus when Judas Iscariot, then verse 45, came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, And he kissed him, and in essence made clear to the crowd here that this was the man who you want to seize and to arrest. And it was with that kiss, church, by Judas Iscariot to Jesus Christ that they then, this aforementioned authorized police contingent, likely made up of temple guards and Roman soldiers with their clubs and their swords in hand, verse 46 laid hands on Jesus Christ and took hold of Jesus Christ and seized Jesus Christ and arrested that of Jesus Christ. In short, Judas Iscariot here, a man, church, who Jesus Christ himself called to be his disciple and who spent approximately three years with Jesus Christ and who heard Jesus Christ teach, saw Jesus Christ heal, and who even witnessed Jesus Christ perform miracle after miracle after miracle for that same man, Judas Iscariot here, with a kiss, willingly betrayed Jesus Christ for only 30 pieces of silver. Or to think of it another way, for Jesus Christ was betrayed here, church, by that of a friend. And although John Mark does not go on to tell us in his gospel what ultimately ended up happening to Judas Iscariot, for as we see in the gospel of Matthew, particularly in Matthew chapter 27, verses 3 through 5, that when Judas, Jesus' betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed. And he, Judas, went and hanged himself. 
Nevertheless, I'd like to focus at this time, church, on how exactly Jesus Christ reacted here and responded here and ultimately conducted himself here despite being betrayed by one of his own friends. Since, as Kent Hughes notes, betrayal is always terrible when it comes with a kiss from a supposed friend. But in those cases, when it comes with a kiss, in those cases, it is especially horrible. And yet there is no rejection from Jesus Christ here. For there was no, you disgust me, Judas, get away. But instead, as Matthew shares in Matthew 26, verse 50, Jesus said to Judas, friend, do what you came to do. For Jesus did not say, just love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For Jesus Christ, he lived it. And that is what a life covered in prayer and submissive to the will of God can do. For this betrayal by Judas Iscariot was easily the most hurtful and grievous of betrayals in human history. But Jesus Christ was not conquered by it nor was he taken captive by personal hatred because of it. But instead, by calling Judas friend, he, Jesus Christ, then was still reaching out to him. Therefore, we must not be easy on ourselves with simplistic rationalizations about Jesus being the Son of God and us only being human. But instead, we must remember that we too have been called to do the same as Jesus. And thus, have you ever been betrayed, even with a kiss, and then believed that you are somehow entitled to hate that person who betrayed you? For Jesus Christ says that you are not. But instead, his example teaches us that if we cover ourselves in prayer and submit ourselves to the will of God, that we too can still reach out to our offender and to those who have betrayed us. And thus, practically speaking here, church, for we have all been betrayed by someone, have we not? Maybe abandoned by a loved one for a biblical stance we took, or deserted by a family member of ours for a God-honoring position we held, or maybe even stabbed in the back, double-crossed, or sold out by someone who we considered a friend for a certain theological view that we unapologetically confessed. And man, in those moments, for how easy it is, brother Christian, sister Christian, to want to hate that person who betrayed us and loathe that person who double-crossed us and to want revenge and vengeance and to attack that person who stabbed us in the back. And yet when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was betrayed by one of his own, for he didn't do any of that church, but instead, as Kent Hughes previously mentioned, for he, Jesus Christ, still called Judas his friend and was still willing to reach out to him. And thus, let us learn from this, brother Christian, sister Christian, that even in the face of betrayal, 
when we are abandoned by a loved one, or forsaken by a co-worker, or disowned by a friend, double-crossed by a neighbor, or even stabbed in the back by someone who we really looked up to, for we as Christians have not been called to hate that person, or to do evil to that person, or spew venom on that person, defame that person, hold a grudge against that person, or seek to find ways to destroy that person, but instead we as Christians have been called to love that person and to pray for those who persecute us, even those who turn on us, abandon us, forsake us, and ultimately betray us, since that is the will of God for us, church, and the example that we have been given by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Which takes us to point number two. Despite being abandoned by all of his disciples, Jesus Christ still submitted to the will of his Father. Despite being abandoned by all his disciples, Jesus Christ still submitted to the will of his Father. Verses 47 through 52. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. So after this authorized police contingent, again likely made up of temple guards and Roman soldiers, verse 46, laid hands on Jesus Christ and seized him, One of those who stood by, verse 47, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear, which as we see in John's account of this narrative, in John chapter 18, verse 10, that that person who drew his sword here and struck the servant of the high priest was none other than that of Simon Peter who seemingly here must have been aiming at this man's head or neck area, a man by the name of Malchus, as we also see in John chapter 18, but that Simon Peter here seemingly missed his target when Malchus likely moved or ducked when he saw the sword of Simon Peter coming his way, causing Simon Peter then to only hit or cut off, verse 47, that of Malchus's ear. To which Jesus Christ then didn't say to Simon Peter, finish him off here, Peter, or strike him again here, Peter, or go after another person, Peter, or let's all now try to fight back against these men just like that of Simon Peter. But instead, Jesus Christ, as we see in Luke's account of this narrative, in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, for he, Jesus Christ, then says to Simon Peter and apparently to the rest of his disciples here as well, no more of this. And he then touched Malchus's ear and he healed him. 
Nevertheless, as we go on to see in Mark chapter 14, verses 48 and 49, that following the servant of the high priest having his ear cut off, that Jesus Christ then said to the crowd, For have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. And that Jesus Christ was now rebuking these people who had come out to arrest him with their swords and their clubs, as if he, Jesus Christ, were some kind of robber or criminal, as the CSB puts it, or dangerous revolutionary, as the New Living Translation puts it. Since, as Jesus Christ goes on to point out in verse 49, that day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. In essence, pointing to the cowardice of the crowd and of the religious leaders here, church, for arresting him, Jesus Christ, at night and outside of the city of Jerusalem due to their fear of what the people of Jerusalem might actually do if they saw Jesus Christ being arrested. To which Jesus Christ then goes on to say in verse 49, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. Seemingly alluding to scriptures like Isaiah 53, 12, where he, the suffering servant, would be numbered with the transgressors. And that of Zechariah 13, 7, where he, the shepherd, would be struck and the sheep would be scattered. To which is the prince of preachers. Charles Spurgeon points out concerning this text that Jesus Christ thought more of fulfilling the scriptures here than he did of being delivered from the hands of wicked men. For neither Jewish bands nor Roman ropes could have held him captive if he had not been under the bond of a mightier force, that bond being the eternal covenant into which he had entered on behalf of his people, and thus being that Jesus Christ was not going to run away or flee, or try to escape from the crowd here. For Jesus' disciples then, as we go on to see in verse 50, for they all left him and fled. Just as Jesus Christ said they would do back in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, when he referenced that of Zechariah 13, 7. To which we then, in verses 51 and 52, read about a young man who followed Jesus Christ with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and that they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And although there is some speculation out there today that this young man who ran away naked in verse 52 was none other than John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, The fact is, church, the young man here in our text today, quite simply, is not identified. And yet, the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, seems to include this rather unique little narrative about this young man in our text today in order to showcase to his readers the totality of the abandonment that Jesus Christ ultimately faced at this time. And yet, despite Jesus Christ being abandoned 
and deserted and left all alone with only that of his captors here. For he, Jesus Christ then, as one commentator pointed out, did not try to flee from his captors here or escape from his captors here or take off, run away, break loose, or try to slip out of his clothes and run away naked from his captors here. But instead, he, Jesus Christ, remained faithful to his commitment to fulfill the scriptures, to submit to the will of his Father, and to ultimately do what he, Jesus Christ, came into this world to do. That being not to be served, but to serve, church, and to now, Mark 10, 45, give his life up as a ransom for many. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, for I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you at this time, non-Christian, that although Jesus Christ would indeed be betrayed by Judas, and although Jesus Christ would indeed be abandoned by the rest of his disciples as well, And although Jesus Christ was indeed arrested and ultimately crucified and killed and crushed and gave up his life as a ransom for many for the story of Jesus Christ, non-Christian, for it does not end there. And I say that because, big picture here, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he came into this world as truly God and as truly man and initially lived a life here on earth that we as sinners could never, ever live. And that the life that Jesus Christ lived while he lived and dwelt among us was a life that was holy and just and righteous and good, free from any kind of wickedness or injustice, iniquity or sin. Meaning that he, Jesus Christ then, fulfilled the law of God perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense all for the very children of God, something that we as sinners, non-Christian, could never, ever do. However, keeping the law of God, all for the very children of God, for that was not all that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, accomplished while he lived and dwelt among us. And I say that because Jesus Christ also then took our sins upon himself and willingly then gave himself up as a ransom for many by being pierced and crucified, killed and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. And in doing so, satisfied non-Christian, the justice of our holy God and a He's then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because of all that, three days later then, this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, for he didn't remain dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life 
to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who was here today, For as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so in light of verses 51 and 52, which again reads, And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And as I noted earlier, Although some scholars speculate that the young man who ran away naked in our text today was John Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, for John Mark here, church, for he quite simply does not identify this man, which as one commentator writes, could it be then that John Mark leaves this man nameless so that we might see him as representing the possible choice that any of us might make if our faith were to be truly tested. Now certainly there was a real young man who actually fled the arrest of Jesus Christ, all while leaving behind his clothes, for he was a real historical person. However, that does not take away from the fact that we can see in this man a warning to us all. That warning being that the temptation to flee from our Christian profession is strong when there is a real cost to us for being obedient. Now, if we trust in ourselves to be obedient to Jesus Christ, we will fail. Therefore, let us all then be sure to ask the Lord for strength and for the grace we need to faithfully persevere under trial. And boy, do we need that grace and that strength today, do we not, church? As we are currently living at a time and living in a place where, make no mistake about it, it is not easy to be a Christian and that you may be called a bigot if you are a Christian today or a racist if you are a Christian today or a sexist, homophobic, science-denying, unintelligent, Bible-thumping hypocrite if you are a Christian today. And it's so easy to become tempted today, Christian, and to begin to think today, Christian, that if we just give in to the temptations of the devil and flee from the ways of Jesus Christ, that things then would just become so much easier and simpler and pleasant and better for us in this world today. I mean, if I just rejected the teachings of Jesus Christ, 
that things then would just become so much easier for me with my agnostic brother. Or if I just turn from the commandments of Jesus Christ, that things then would just become so much simpler for me at work, especially during Pride Month. Or if I just ignored the very words of Jesus Christ, then things then would just become so much better for me when I go out with my friends on Friday nights. And yet, although the temptation to flee from the ways of Jesus Christ can be strong, especially, as previously mentioned, when there is a real cost for being obedient to Jesus Christ. Please, please, please listen to me very carefully this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian. For Jesus Christ, for he is worth it. For he's worth enduring trials for, worth being persecuted for, worth being hated for, worth losing a job for, worth losing a paycheck for, worth losing a promotion for, and worth counting everything as loss for due to the gift of eternal life that we will receive from him and from him alone. And thus, when you are feeling tempted, Christian, and weak, Christian, and feeling the urge to flee from the ways of Jesus Christ, Christian, in order to to just get a taste of what it feels like to be loved by this world and accepted by this world and celebrated and adored and cherished by this fallen world. For just remember then, Christian, that although in this world you will face persecution, take heart because Jesus Christ, for he has already overcome the world. Or to paraphrase D.L. Moody here. For he once shared that one of the happiest men he ever knew was a man in Dundee, Scotland, who had fallen and broken his back when he was just 15 years of age, and that because of that he had been bedridden for about 40 years and could not be moved without a good deal of pain. And yet day by day, Via the grace of God, he was able to keep the faith. And it seemed as as if, Moody says, when I visited him, I was as near as heaven on earth as I could get. And I can only imagine that when the angels passed over Dundee, Moody wrote, that they had to stop there in order to get refreshed. And when I was with him one time, I thought he must be beyond the reach of the tempter. So I asked him, does Satan ever tempt you to doubt or to flee from God? Oh yes, he said, he does try to tempt me. For when I lay here and see my old schoolmates driving along in their carriages, for Satan says, for if God is so good, why does he keep you here all these years? For you could have been a rich man riding in your own carriage. Or when I see a man who I was friends with when I was young, who still has his perfect health, Satan might whisper, for if God really loved you, he would have kept you from breaking your back. And what do you do when Satan tempts you, Moody asked. Ah, the man said, I just take him to the cross at Calvary and I show him Jesus Christ. And I think of those wounds in Jesus' hands and on his feet, And in his side and say to Satan, you see how much Jesus loves me? And the fact is, he's Satan then, for he just leaves me. 
for that bedridden saint had no such trouble with fighting off the temptation to doubt because he was just so full of his God's grace. And thus, when those temptations, brother Christian, sister Christian, do indeed come your way, the temptations to doubt and the temptations to flee from the ways of Jesus Christ. For do not in those moments, Christian, run from Jesus Christ, or depart from Jesus Christ, or abandon, forsake, betray, or seek to leave your master, Jesus Christ. But instead, brother Christian, sister Christian, go to your heavenly Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, in prayer, and ask him to give you the grace you need, the strength you need, and the help you need to overcome all those temptations of the devil, since the grace of your God will absolutely be sufficient for you, Christian, and the power of God will be made perfect in your very weakness. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body, no matter what temptations we may face in this world, that we continue to persevere in the faith that was once and for all delivered by the saints by your grace and by your grace alone, Lord. Therefore, let us be quick then, Father, to seek your grace in our times of need. Since in this world, temptations to deny you, to run from you, to abandon you, and to forsake you will most assuredly come. And thus, when those temptations do come knocking at our door, for let us be quick then, Father, to run to you and to seek your grace in order to overcome any temptations of the devil. Since you, Father God, have not only established us, but you will also be faithful to guard us, to rescue us, and to keep us from being overtaken by the evil one. Therefore, give us the grace we need day by day by day, Father, so that we can continue to hold fast to your Son, Jesus Christ, until the day you complete the good work you and you alone started within us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for your grace this morning. Father, we understand that we are in the midst of spiritual attacks on this country, on Christians, on ourselves today. And Lord, how easy it has become for evangelical leaders and celebrity pastors that we all know, to reject the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, to turn from it, to abandon the commandments of Christ made clear in His Word. And how easy it is, Father, to fall into the same type of temptation, thinking that we would be happier and richer and that life would be better and simpler for us if we just rejected Christ. Father, those temptations will come our way. For we have, you have told us, in this world we will have persecution. But let us cling to the one in Jesus Christ who has already overcome this world. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith. And Lord, we pray that we continue to be empowered day by day by your Spirit that already dwells inside of us. 
For it is the same Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave, continuing, empowering us, and strengthening us to turn from the temptations of the devil. Father, let us be quick then to go to you in prayer and to seek that grace, to go to your word and to see that grace revealed to us, knowing full well that you, God, are faithful and you will never lose us, but you have promised to rescue us from the temptations of the devil, to keep us from all the temptations of the devil, and to provide the way of escape for us so that we may overcome these temptations until you, Father, and you alone complete the good work that you started in us on the day of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.